Hi, Rupert. How are you today? I'm, I'm great. It's a it's a beautiful day, October day. Autumn oh. is upon us, or fall, as you call it, in the, in the US. Yes, and, and it is a very beautiful fall day here in the US as well, or the northeast of the US, as I would <laughs> say. It is beautiful. So welcome to our uh, listeners into the podcast, uh, Unpacking Organizations, where Rupert and I talk about our passion topics. Unpacking Organizations, the Practitioner's Podcast. Sponsored by OrgView. See tomorrow's business today. And today, our topic on this beautiful fall day is that how does OPNA interact with the rest of the HR department and the other departments outside of HR? Because I think, Rupert, we have spoken a lot about OPNA, organizational planning and analysis function. Many a times in the organizations, it's a missing department. And many a times, um, HR isn't adequately exposed to it and because of which it creates some gaping holes in the way we work in the way we connect the dots it feels to you and me it feels like a connective tissue but many a times because it's not set up in that sense in a uh, in an organization it's a connective tissue which is missing but nobody knows what they're missing out on right so i would love to have that kind of a conversation today that what is OPNA department gives and gets through other departments across the organization and why is it so important? And to our, to our listeners, um, we have not re- rehearsed this. So this is a pressure test for Rupert. Um, I'm going to ask um, departments and maybe he will give the answers and uh, he will give the answers and maybe I will add on some of my practitioner's take on it. So Rupert, are we ready? Let's go. Let's, let's do this. Okay. So um, the first department that I would say is perhaps L&D. Um, it's a very, uh, very important department. It's there in everybody's, uh, everybody's HR function. But why is OPNA important for L&D? I think that connection people never make. Uh, would you like to take that away? Oh, Shraddha, thank you for starting with that one. Um, I mean, it's so critical. We say get the right people in the right place, but if you don't have the skills, then do you just have to hire outside the whole time or do you develop internally? And and so it's such a crucial function. And OPNA, part of, if you, if, if you remember the data model, is you, each role has a... What is the work you do and what are the competencies you need to have to be effective at that work? And so you, in the role design, you're designing what are the competencies that are, you know, however you want to wait, the must have, should have, could have the most critical competencies to be effective in that role so you can deliver the work so you can achieve the objectives. And so you set the targets and then collect the data. If you have a target, go back to TAF, you should have actuals. What are the actual competencies that people possess? Now, I don't know about you, but if I look at myself, I don't always have all the competencies that I should have to be really effective in that role. And so there's a gap. And you can see the gap is an opportunity. There's a learning opportunity. And I and think so we can, all are there. We are not, we're not perfect. We all have learning opportunities. Yes, that's true. And so we can quantify the gaps. And if you can quantify the gaps, you can 
from, from the competency taxonomy perspective, you say which competencies are most needed for the most critical roles that we have the biggest gaps in. And what is that? That is training needs analysis. And I think one of the big weaknesses in most L&D departments is they are really ineffective at doing training needs analysis. So the, the OPNA function can help provide these are the gaps by competency. This is the people that are missing them the most. So if you do your individual development plan, you can be like, well, I need help here. And then the L&D team can say, well, let's put a program together to support and the nice thing is then you get the feedback loop. Like, have you actually addressed that? And can you see it in the, in the data over time? Absolutely. And I, I think one thing which I feel is that in absence of this, the it's a broad stroke, always a broad stroke. It's never targeted. It is always like, you know, we have this set of people who can go through this set of programs, but the training need analysis and the gap analysis is missing. And so we just don't know if people really got something out of that program or not, right? And so we cannot build on it. And so a lot of people go through a lot of executive programs, but we don't know how to build on it further and continue that journey, learning journey for them. So that's a, thank you so much, Rupert. Uh, The next one that I would like to talk about would be talent acquisition. And it's very related to what you started with, is that whether you want to buy or build. It, it, it is. So, so, I mean, it, you know, talent acquisition, so what's the demand, what's the supply? So right. it's very linked to the workforce planning. And when demand outstrips supply and, and you don't have it internally, then you go external and, and bring it in. And again, which competencies are we looking for, et cetera, as per the last question, right. that helps in having effective role design. The operational workforce planning is really around budgeting like, and, and signing that off. And that, that is actually creating the demand for the talent acquisition function. But because you under, if you've got the competency data, you, you can actually look at the internal market. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this has to be the first place to, to look. Look 100%. internal first. Yep. You know yep. the people, you, they know the culture and they're proven, this is, you know, and, 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 the role they're in and the position they're in. So that's a great place and that's developing the careers and, and the relationships. And if you don't have internal, then you know the demand for what you need to look external. Right. So so the OPNA function is really providing the data for what the work needs to be for the talent acquisition function. Right, absolutely. And again, the same point is that if we don't have that, then the internal mobility also takes a backseat then, right? We are always looking out externally. We just don't know how do we move people um, with the skill sets that they have. We always are looking and pigeonholing people with based on their most recent role. We don't know what they have done in the past, and therefore they can be better prepared for some roles in the future and we're only looking at the people we know. So what if you don't exactly. know right. and you don't know what skill right. someone has until, unless you know them really, really well and you ask. Right. Right. So, you know, so when I ask for competencies, I, it's not, you should, when you, when you do the as is assessment of the competencies, it's not just for the role you ran, it's all competencies so exactly. that you can actually feed the data exactly. for that internal mobility. Right. 
Right. So that there's no recency effect. We are taking into consideration their experience from the past as well. And past means within and outside of organization. Great. So other one, which I would say is very close to my heart because it's my current role, is around talent and succession planning. What do you so think about that? It's, it's almost the same thing. So if you've got in the roles, you have which competencies are required. And then you look at which competencies people supply, you can see a percent gap. And so you can see how close someone is, not just in terms of fulfilling their existing role, but future potential roles. And, and so then you can use that and say, what is the pool of people who could be successors? And, and actually, more interestingly, the ones that we deem to be quote unquote high potential, they might have gaps back to your L&D question okay they've got these gaps but we think in x years time they will be a great successor let's now help them meet you know close those gaps for those skills and so it becomes that it's I'm almost answering the same question three times in almost exactly the same way but from a different lens and and but also that dynamic what about the from the employee perspective say which you know, roles would you be interested in, in the future? So, and then what do you need to do to get there? Um, so, and, and just visualizing that is really helpful. So the OPNA function can help you visualize. And then that process of the talent slating. So which people could be slated in the future as being successors. And then when you look across the organization, where, where do you have the bench strength? Where do you have the depth of successes and where don't you? So it can help you identify where you are weaker in certain critical roles. Um, and that may be, okay, we need to look harder or we might need to look externally, not for now, but maybe for X years down the road. Right. And I think the flip side of that is also the OPNA function helps us define the roles in the right way. Exactly. And those roles we usually like miss out succession planning on just doing a succession planning around persons and people like this, this leader is successful. So we just want to have a pipeline, which is as successful as them, but we miss out thinking about how the role is going to change in the future and how new competencies are required for that role. And therefore the talent slating and the talent pipeline may look different. So I think the OPNA function can also help us provide that uh, futuristic vision around the new roles, new competencies that are needed. So Rupert, you just raised a very good point that I want to bring is that about the overall employee experience, right? Like that department is also sometimes not miss, not actively or overtly present, but we all do the work of HR in order to enhance the employee experience. And so what is OPNA functions value in creating employee experience. So, what drives motivation? Hmm. Purpose, mastery, autonomy. It's Daniel Pink's kind of thinking. Right. So, purpose of the role. It's not just the purpose of the organization. I, I don't actually believe the story about the janitor at NASA and they're cleaning the corridors and they were asked, "Oh, what do you hear?" Why are you so excited? Oh, I'm putting a man on the moon. I, I don't believe that story. I, I, I think it's, the, yes, the passion for the organization, but it's also the passion for the work that you do in your role. 
and and so the work design and understanding the work that someone is really motivated to do and 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 that's thoughtful design and and the work and the accountability then opna and org design is responsible for understanding decision rights and who can make what decision and actually giving that autonomy down that is an org design question and the mastery is then related to that the mastery is do you have the skills and the behavior to be excellent at what you're doing but to be in the flow channel you want to be in a situation where there's a balance between the effort required and the and the challenge um so it's it's not too difficult because then you'll be overwhelmed and it's not too easy because you'll be bored rupert this um positive psychology and the flow channel i think it requires a podcast on its own a episode on its own so why don't we get to that in a different episode sometime later but i want to just um highlight two more then discuss two more one is the ceo itself like how is ceo should be benefiting from the opna department one of the so firstly actually just totally agree on the positive psychology we we should really do one on on that because it's it's so crucial and i i jumped a bit fast and i think we we need to take our time in it and and explain it um with the ceo ceo I love this book by McKinsey on CEO excellence. I've referenced it many times. And the first thing that a CEO should be thinking about and is responsible for and should be focused on is is the strategy, nailing and getting everyone clear on what the strategy is. The second thing is the org alignment. And within org alignment is culture, talent, and org design. And we've talked about those three things. And so there's only so many things you can do as a CEO, especially when you become larger. When, when you're a smaller business, you 5, 10, you're founder-led, it's scrappy. You do, you do everything. But when you get of a certain scale, you have to perform. It's the organization that has to perform. And, and your job as a CEO is to lead that and to set that direction and then ensure that the organization is optimal for helping you execute that and that everyone is clear and everyone's role is clear and that it all works together and those are all org design capabilities and org design thinking and i think that is so important that because you know many a time the ceo stop their work after defining a strategy and a very strong vision but the organization really needs a very strong foundation as well in order to do that i've heard that that you know um it could be a corporate folklore but i heard that when spotify ceo was trying to make it agile they actually spent more time in laying down the foundations and ensuring that their organizational metrics are correct before they actually t- took the organization and made it very um, agile and now we all know about spotify model and i think that is so important and many a times ceo operate at a 30000 level itself and not get down at dirtying their hands if you will yeah i mean another example actually from silicon valley is peter till mm-hmm. and and he 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 focuses on everyone f- focusing on one thing Right. So one, exactly. One, you have one activity, one task, and that's your thing that you focus on, and you're famous for that, and that's how you're measured. That's an org that's design true. solution. 
That's org yes. design thinking. So you, the the CEO needs that support because you, the CEO can't do anything all on his or her own. They need the support, and that's and and where do they normally go? They go outside. They they get management consultants in, you know, like you and I used to be. But actually, because it's an ongoing discipline, your org design is constantly evolving. That that has to be an internal capability. And the other problem with going external is you don't get down to the role design. You don't get down to the nitty gritty that actually has the impact on what everyone exactly. does and yes. down to the decision. So it, it should be core. It's so important. It should be core. Um, Absolutely. And, and the, the, the executive, the CEO is, is a core customer of the OPNA function. And I think one last person that comes to my mind as an OPNA friend is the CFO and the finance or finance organization and the FBNA function. And we've spoken about this before, Rupert, but that is, I, I don't think this episode would have been fully done if we didn't sp speak about that. So why don't we just touch base upon that as well one more time? So people represent what proportion of cost? Maybe if you're in a capital intensive industry, maybe it's 30, 40%. If you're in a human capital intensive industry, um, it, it can be up upwards of 90%. You know, hospitals and, and things like that, it's 60, 70%. Uh, it's it, the people cost is the proportion of the total cost. And every organization says, well, our key asset is our people. And so finance has to think about financial planning, um, optimizing debt and capital structures, uh, thinking about the budgets and what investments get made in, into different areas of the business so you can then execute, again, from a financial perspective, execute the strategy. And OPNA is thinking, well, how do we get the right people doing the right things in the right place so we can execute our strategy? Where is the best place for the work to happen? And that that's, I mean, that's, very closely aligned with finance and actually finance often struggle because they don't have enough of a grip on the side of the planning process and both OPNA and FPNA are joined at the hip. They have a slightly different perspective, slightly different characteristics, but they're joined at the hip. They have to be working alongside each other. They're probably working more closely together, OPNA and FPNA. Then FPNA is with the rest of the finance function, and OPNA is with the rest. They're, they're, and and you know you you can see them. I've seen them actually be one unit, reporting into two places, reporting into the CFO and the CHO because they're so. That's very interesting. Aligned. And I have had uh, some of my colleagues um, from other parts of the organization, in different parts of the organization. Um, that who came from FPNA and are working in OPNA and therefore are able to make that connection because they have that legacy within the organization and make it very successful. So that's a that's a great call out, Rupert. Well, I think we are at time for this uh, episode. Your, so thank you so much. Big, what's your one big takeaway, Shraddha? My one big takeaway is that I think I would like to be very progressive or in an organization, these days, all our roles are starting to become hybrid. 
And if we are only thinking about very siloed departments, we are not going to get too far. And so we have to think about the interconnections between the departments in order to make the departments good, but not just within the HR, outside of HR as well. And so I think OPNA is such a unique positioned department in HR where you you need to have connection with strategy and CEO's office. You need to have connection with finance. You need to have connections with the rest of your HR. That itself makes me so excited. And so if you are listening as a practitioner and thinking about, like, should this be a part of the organization or not? This should be because it really provides a very different kind of lens to HR professionals. And having a rotation in an OPNA function really enhances the way you think about HR in a different way. So my takeaway is just to tell people and inspire people that think about this function as a very integral part of your HR department and help connect the dots across different departments within organization. What is your takeaway, Rupert? It's it's a little bit um, the connection with the CEO and the CFO. Mm. And we had this, is this an, it's an HR function, but it's also very much a business function. And it's very much an analytical function. And a lot of the answers I gave were very analytical, i.e. understanding the gap between demand and supply or the competency gaps to inform something like the training needs analysis. And I've seen lots of people try to produce training needs analysis and they're woeful. And it's, it's, it's in part because the skill set just isn't there in that function, and it, but it, will, it is in the OPNA one. So it's, it's understanding the skill set that's in OPNA and leveraging that for many different objectives, business objectives, finance objectives, you know, executing the strategy, but also things that are HR for HR for HR, the employee lifecycle, the L&D, talent acquisition, talent mobility, creating that internal labor. So there's so many connections and I just think it's, and people are screaming up to solve these issues, but they're solving them as if, each one is on its own. Exactly. Yes. And they're all connected. They're all so, connected. And we need to think about the connective tissues and not just the disparate the island. islands. The islands. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you so Great. much, Rupert. Thank you. And um, to our listeners, if you like it, please leave us a comment. Please leave a topic that you would like to listen to going forward. We are here to uh, help you and Uh, discuss with you about your uh, challenges and your insights on this topic. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Take care.